All right. You guys ready? This will be good. We're going to talk about leading individuals, teams, and events because there are different aspects to each of those. And as leaders, I think it's going to be important for you to be able to lead in all those areas, not just one or another. Just as an example, my wife is very good at leading in a one-on-one type of way. And I feel very insecure in one-on-one situations. It's just not where I'm strong. And she feels insecure in big situations, and that's where I thrive. I feel very comfortable. In fact, the bigger the group, the more comfortable I feel. I have some reasons that I think that's the case, and I'm not sure if my reasons are correct or not. Those are just different strengths and weaknesses that Aaron and I have, but the reality is both of us have to do both those things, right? And we also have to lead events. And as a leader, you're going to have to practice and get good at and trust God to make you better at leading in all three of those different areas. And you might be stronger in one, and you probably will than in others, but God will be able to work all of those into your life so that you can be effective in all those. And he does that through the power of his Holy Spirit, right? And on that note, who's on the throne? As to Ashley and Chris. Stephanie? Christ is on the throne? Okay, good. (laughs) As we start, let's make sure that Christ is on the throne, because if he's not, we're in big trouble. So I'll just pray to get us started. God, we just thank you so much for this awesome afternoon, and that we can be here, even though it's snowy outside, and cold outside, and cloudy outside. And God, I know we all feel wiped out, having just come off an awesome but long retreat. And I know that the to-do list won't fit on the schedule for many of us, but yet, God, We get to be here today, and we get to grow and learn. So thank you for this opportunity. Teach us, and more than anything, God, make us more like you, God, and give us a greater desire for you. We want to love you more than we ever have before, Jesus. And so thank you for all you're doing in each of our lives. Be on the throne today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and teach us what you want us to hear. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so to accomplish the vision that God's called you to, your life purpose, and ultimately the great commission that God's called all of us to as believers— you're going to need to be able to lead in a variety of areas in many different ways. You can't just stay focused in one area that you're naturally gifted, right? You're going to have to be able to be more multifaceted than that. So today we're going to talk about three big areas, and those are leading individuals, leading teams, and leading events. And those are the three that come to mind as the big areas when you're doing the type of ministry that we do, great commission-centered ministry. Now, I'll get into it some more the more we go, but... Your ministry to individuals and leading individuals is the most important of these, right? Because God is all about people more than he's all about events or more than he's all about things like that, right? And I think it's important to start there. So remember that ministry is about people. It really is. Remember the Bama movie? Most of you have seen that. Nikki, you haven't seen that yet, have you? Oh, it'll blow your mind. It's so good. But anyway, he talks very effectively in that presentation about how God is all about people, and people are what are going to last. In heaven, none of us are going to be going to connect. (laughs) None of us are going to be going to retreats, right? But we are going to be there. People are going to be there. People that you share with in your class are going to be there, right? So people are what are most important to God. So an effective ministry has to do all these different things. You have to be able to work with individuals, teams, and events, but the individuals are the most important, right? The individuals are what God is all about, right? So don't forget the priority here, and that's people. That's what we need to start with. That's what we need to focus on. 
And don't forget the areas that are related to discipleship. Just a plug here for the other cross-training class on ministry fundamentals. This is the leadership fundamentals class. We have a class on ministry fundamentals, and I think it's about 12 weeks long or something like that. And it's all online, videos, audio, notes, everything like that. It's the class I did uh, three semesters ago now. But So some of this in the individual part actually comes from one of the lessons in that semester. And it will be real good, so you can check it out. It's on the Connect FLC website. Anyway, there are four contexts that discipleship thrives in. So as you think about investing individually in someone or leading individuals, the concept that comes to mind is discipleship. Because it's a process where you're helping somebody take their next step with God and grow with God. And that starts with meeting one-on-one. So I'm going to put the context for ooh, there's no e in four for discipleship. <laughs> oh, I do not golf. All right. So number one, but I was just thinking about it today, how I probably should start just to be able to golfing build. for discipleship. Exactly to be able to build bridges. I should at least be able to go out and not look like a complete fool. So what's that? Okay, as you're thinking about investing one-on-one or leading an individual, the first and most important context is meeting one-on-one. And I've had pastors and leaders tell me, can't you do it in small groups? And I say, well, that's a part of the context. But if you don't have the one-on-one, you're never going to be getting to know that person in a way where you can really influence them. And they're probably never going to be comfortable to really tell you where they're at, to really confess insecurities and secret sin and fears and things like that that maybe they wouldn't in a group. So you have to have that one-on-one foundation, first and foremost. Second, there needs to be a small group setting. So you need all these. I'd say Bible study, right? So this is still intimate and close, kind of like a one-on-one setting would be. But there are also a few other people involved in this. So there is some fellowship with others. There's this growth, this accountability that are starting to develop. Beyond that, though, there should be a weekly meeting. Now, this is where it's so important, guys, to keep inviting people to connect. This time of the semester, everybody has more assignments due and homework and tests coming up and they need to study and everybody feels drained because the semester just doesn't want to end and Thanksgiving is two weeks away and that's where my mind is. Okay, well right now it's important for us to keep inviting the people that we're working with and the people that we run into to things like Connect. Again, this week Connect is going to be huge. We're doing this angels and mortals thing. If a non-Christian comes to this, good chance they're going to feel more loved than they've ever felt in their life for a whole week. This will blow them out of the water, right? So if you've been sharing with somebody, this would be a great time to bring them up. But for a Christian, too, of any age in their walk with God, this will be phenomenal, right? So keep inviting people. But this weekly meeting is where they're going to see a lot more people than just the person that's discipling them and their small group Bible study, right? So you're doing a Bible study, Ashley, correct? Okay, now in your Bible study, you have girls that you're discipling and girls that just come and they're part of the Bible study. But when they also come to connect, they get the broader picture. They realize, wow, Chris is on campus, and he loves God. 
And next time one of those girls runs into Chris, they can encourage each other and see each other and pray for each other. So that weekly meeting ends up being a lot more important in the whole context of things than just a plain event. Again, you can go back to last year's ministry fundamentals class, and it draws connections between everything we do, Bible studies, big events, all these different things, and where they all fit in the ministry process. It's very important. But this is a key aspect to personal discipleship or leading individuals, is to have all these things happening. Finally, fourth, I would say, is evangelism. And we'll put it in a broader sense, outreach. You guys remember James 1.22 that says, Be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Well, it's important to be taking the first three and then becoming outward focused if you want discipleship to really work and leading an individual actually to work. There needs to be more than just the personal introspective growth. There needs to be the outward focused action, right, to really have growth happening. So evangelism is an obvious way that that can happen, but depending on the relationship or the leadership level that you're at with that person, that'll involve other areas of outreach as well and of outward focus as well, right? So Dakota and I, we've been meeting all semester, and Dakota is involved in all three of these. We meet one-on-one. Dakota is actually involved in leading a Bible study, and he's in the guys' leadership Bible study with me. And he comes to connect every week. But I'm not just going to say, okay, Dakota, this week, evangelism again. Well, obviously, we should be sharing constantly, if not daily. But at the same time, in my relationship with Dakota, I want to help him take the next step. He's been sharing his faith actively for a good two years now. Well, I want him to be taking the next step also. Not just there, but actually going to the next level. So what did he do this weekend? He did a talk at the retreat, right? So he's beginning to have this outward focus that's helping in his personal growth, and it goes beyond just evangelism, right? There's something more than that. There will be other areas for him to have that outward focus. Okay, so those are the four contexts of discipleship and individual leadership, and it goes on beyond that, though, and this is extremely important, so please keep getting this. This is God's command to all believers, this personal, individual leadership. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So first, I want to encourage you, invest in the right individuals, right? How many of you guys have seen the faith acronym? I think we've even discussed it this year in this class. So we'll just go through that again. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul tells Timothy, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Okay, so what do we have there? What does Paul give Timothy? Remember? It goes, how many generations? Paul, Timothy, Reliable or faithful, depending on translation, people, right? Others also. So when you're thinking about your ministry, let's say you have Nikki over here. Who is going to be 
the person that you're discipling that is able to invest in other faithful people that can invest in others also. Does that make sense? That's how we want to view discipleship and this personal leadership. You want to be leading people like Timothy, people that are faith Christians. There are these faithful people that are going to invest in others also. Now, as we think about what that acronym is, I'm going to ask you guys, because you guys know it so well. Okay, what is it? Okay, so faithful, available, anybody else? There are two. Initiative, yeah, thanks to Steve Shadrach. And ours was interactive. I think they're both important. If I had to pick one, though, I think I'd go with initiative. Right? If you're trying to invest in somebody that never takes initiative, they're not going to multiply. Okay, next. No? Teachable. Yeah, teachable. Have you ever tried to lead somebody that's not teachable? Yeah. Is it fun? Yeah. Absolutely miserable. <laughs> it is absolutely miserable. An H. Heart for God. Heart for God. Yeah. Gosh. I've discipled guys before that, and none of them are here, so you don't know these guys, and I won't ever say their names. But anyway, I've discipled people that have zero heart for God. And when I say disciple, I say that only in the sense that that's the word for the one-on-one relationship type of thing. They really weren't growing at all. And some of these guys I, uh, I had to quit meeting with or, you know, either I told them that or just had to not meet with them anymore. But the reality was they had no heart for God. I mean, just zero. Would not get in the Word at all, would not get in fellowship and prayer, and had no desire to. And when they'd finally get in the Word, I remember talking to one guy. After two or three years, and I don't know why I kept doing this, I was wasting a lot of time. I wanted so badly for this guy to grow, and I just had bad boundaries, I guess. I needed to cut him loose and say, that's fine. If you don't have a heart for God, that's, that's okay. That's between you and God. That's not my problem. I can't fix you. And I remember after a couple of years of meeting with this guy, he finally started reading the book of John. And I thought, this is unbelievable. The, the gospel of John, I can't believe he's reading the Bible, actually. And he read, I think, the first nine or ten chapters. And I remember asking him, okay, you've read nine or ten chapters in John. What have you been getting out of it? He says, nothing. I said, wait, what? <laughs> nothing? Nothing. Can you remember anything? No, nothing. I can't remember anything. You're not getting anything out of it? No, I'm not getting anything out of it. I, I started just going chapter by chapter with him. You didn't get anything out of chapter one? <laughs> I'm going through all these verses. Are you kidding me? How about chapter two? You didn't get anything from that, you know? But it was crazy. If there's not a heart for God, somebody's never going to grow, right? And all these characteristics are important, but that's the most important, right? So lead people that are passionate about God, and they are going to go places for God. Not because of you, but because they're surrendering to God, right? As you lead people, just a side note, as you disciple people, I think it isn't so much about you helping them grow or about you doing anything to make them grow. It's God that makes them grow. Remember 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that? It's God that makes them grow. Romans 14 talks about how God is the one that makes them stand. And you guys, we are kind of like this active participant in their growth, but we are not the cause of their growth. Does that make sense? 
all we're doing is standing alongside them, encouraging them, and pointing back to God. I jokingly say God has a big problem, and that's that he is inaudible, right? And it's a joke because he intended to use you. He's invisible and inaudible, right? And so he's easy to ignore. And I've found that to be the case too easily in my life. You guys might have as well. When you're discipling someone, you're harder to ignore. I can't ignore you, Dakota, because you can talk and you can stand in front of me, right? So when we disciple people, we are really being the unignorable presence that points back to God and says, please surrender to him and grow. So if they're not having a heart for God, it's not going to happen. So remember those criteria. Okay, that's the first principle, invest in the right people. Second principle, as far as this individual leadership, would be invest in them according to these guidelines. All of these guidelines, for the most part, come out of the teacher's edition of the discipleship packet. You can get that online. You've probably seen it. If not, let me know. We'll get it to you. But anyway, here they are. So as you consider discipling somebody or investing in somebody, here are some specific guidelines. One, pray for the person that you are beginning to disciple. Rely on the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, remembering that the person you are discipling will be discipling the next generation. That is heavy, right? The people that we're working with today are going to be working with the reliable or faithful men, next generation, right? And the others also, even the generation after that. So I want to do the best I can today, right? It would be funny if somebody that Dakota was discipling came back to me and we were just talking someday. And he said, yeah, isn't that cool how Buddha is an awesome way to God? I'd say, what the heck? (laughs) Obviously, something isn't getting past the first generation, right? And we should all do that in our own personal discipleship. Evaluate yourself. Talk to people that are maybe two generations away and see how they're growing. It's not the person you're discipling's fault if, those next gener- if the next generation isn't getting it. It comes back to, to me, right? Because I'm not investing something the right way. right? So pray for the person you're beginning to disciple and then rely on the Holy Spirit. This person is going to be going on and multiplying until Christ returns, Lord willing. So we want to do the best, and it has to be God's business. So be praying for them. Pray for the people you're leading daily, okay, to the best of your ability. Obviously, you'll miss sometimes. Okay, build a relationship and personal credibility with them. That's key. If they cannot rely on you, then your one-on-one leadership is not going to happen. Be sensitive to the needs and interests of that person, right? Meet them where they're at, right? So develop this personal credibility, this relationship the best you can. Be personable, relatable, and genuinely interested in them. Ask them questions. Draw them out. Get to know them, right? This should be demonstrated by taking the initiative to be relatable and to build good communication. Balance your relationship with common interests and fun activities. Depending on your schedule, this might be more or less difficult. As a father, as a husband, as somebody that has other leadership responsibilities as well, it can be really hard to devote significant amounts of time to every single guy I'm trying to disciple. But I want to. Dakota and I went and got Starbucks once this semester, you know, and I got to go hunting with Joseph and Brandon, and I wanted to go hunting with more of the guys this week, but I shot, I shot that buck a little too early. So no more hunting this week. But try to do whatever you can that fits within your budget and your time to really establish that personal relationship. Okay, remember that who you are to a person determines a whole lot of what he takes in from you. Right? 
If you guys saw me cussing out Aaron, you're probably not going to be here at cross training tomorrow, right? You're going to say, he's a jerk. Why should I go to his class? Does that make sense? Right? So who you are is going to demonstrate a whole lot of what people take in from you, or it'll determine, I should say, a whole lot of what people take in from you. So the acceptance of content and new knowledge depends a large degree on how they view you. So do your best to walk in integrity. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow Christ. I would love to say that confidently to every person that I am trying to individually lead, every person I'm trying to disciple. Follow me as I follow Christ, right? Okay, be sure to let them see you as a person who is also growing in Christ. So you don't have to be perfect. You'll make mistakes undoubtedly. Let them see that and share with them appropriate issues that you are presently trusting God for. I try to be very vulnerable with the guys I'm working with and discipling to let them know what I'm struggling with and what I'm trusting God for and also what God's doing for us. When God provides for us miraculously, I tell the guys, I tell most of the students, right? Sometimes I feel awkward about that. I'll, I'll tell Aaron, you know, you think it's appropriate to be so open and honest? And she always says, absolutely. You know, we're on the same page with this. We want to share about our marriage. We want to share about our finances. We want to share about all these issues. We want to invest appropriately, but in a way that's very relatable and honest. Okay, answer their questions first, then proceed to your content. Don't just pull out your packet and say, we're blazing through this regardless of where you're at. Remember one day I came to an appointment and I wanted to bring up the issue of porn with a guy. Not that I thought he was involved in porn. I just thought I should bring this up in case it's an issue so that I can encourage him, you know. And so I have all these notes prepared and this whole way to start this conversation. I sit down with him and I'm about to start this. And seriously, before I even got there, he just says, hey, I have a big question for you, Nate. I said, what's that? He said, I really don't even think I'm saved. <laughs> okay? So I just thought, okay, all the stuff I wanted to talk about today, <laughs> push it to the side. We're talking about something much more fundamental today, right? So be sensitive to where they're at. Just because you have a lot of preparation involved in, in your appointment. Don't just blaze through it. Let them go first, right? Okay. Do not preach at them. Rather, ask them questions to help them learn things from the Bible by themselves. That is phenomenal if you can do it. Help them really learn by getting in Scripture themselves. Always help them see the Bible as the only source for truth, right? Try not to answer questions with opinions that you have, but rather with Scripture. Go back to Scripture. Students have asked me about hard issues. What do you personally think about this hard issue? And I try to stray from that and say, I'm not going to tell you what I personally think. Because then you might make your decision based on what Nate thinks. I want to tell you, go to Scripture. Figure it out there. It's pretty simple. Go to Scripture. Okay, as you're talking, write out verses, diagrams, illustrations, etc. on paper. Or give them a packet and make sure that they can keep these resources for future reference. Especially in this day and age, that's kind of changed a bit. Maybe you could give them links to more information. I'll share links with students to a lot of our notes that are online and things like that so that they can get access to them. Okay, if you don't have time to finish your content, that's fine. Uh, you can continue next time. Right? This is a relationship. It doesn't end with this appointment. Here's a famous Russ statement that you should all memorize. Too much, too soon, too bad. Too little, too late, so sad. But Russ changes that every once in a while. I've heard him say, too little, too late, oh, what a fate. And some other different <laughs> ways of... 
conveying the same thought. But it's so true, guys. Don't blow somebody out of the water with too much too soon. And also, don't wait forever to help them take a step that they need to take, right? Because their growth will be stunted if you wait too long, or they'll be personally blown out of the water if you push them too fast, right? So go at their level. Okay, remember that they do not yet think, talk, or act like a more mature Christian in many cases. Be okay with that. Do not ignorantly lose your credibility by doing one of these following four things. Do not talk in heavy Christian religious language or Christianese, as we like to call it. Talk normally, right? Do not try to communicate too deep. Avoid rabbit trails and keep it simple. Don't blow them out of the water. Do not verbally or non-verbally communicate a standard of performance such as legalism to them. A lot of times, young Christians, it's kind of funny, but they will, they will cuss a lot. And sometimes I want to be sensitive not to jump on them. Hey, don't cuss. Don't use that word. Right? I'll, they'll, they'll get there, and the Holy Spirit's in their life. Be careful not to make their Christian walk all about standards and legalism, but rather about a relationship and changing from the inside out because of what Christ is doing them in them. Do not spiritualize everything in your conversation. You can be real with them. You can talk about salmon fishing and how much fun you have, and you don't have to draw a spiritual metaphor from that. You can just be yourself, right? There should be spiritual content, but there should also be real-life content. And I love talking about baseball and hunting and all sorts of stuff, snowboarding. It, does, it doesn't have to be spiritual in every single part of your conversation. Develop a real, full relationship with this person. Okay, meet once or twice each week. Content, continuity and consistency are vital, right? If you don't have those, it's not going to continue working. Don't get discouraged, guys. I want to encourage you with this. Don't think that you did something wrong, especially if they don't take the steps that you expected them to take. That's between them and God. And really, don't get mad if they get mad at you or if they gossip about you. We've had, I've had students that I love and have invested in that have come real close to hitting me in the face, having a fist fight, you know. And we've had students that have gossiped about us that have hurt us bad. Even people that we've invested in for years and years and years. And that's fine. God, God still loves them. We still love them in all those cases. They're still going to grow. That's fine. This is what you're doing for God, right? Work as unto the Lord, not as unto men, when you do personal investment and leadership, discipleship, right? This is you and God. Realize that Jesus even had a disciple reject him. In fact, he kind of had all of them reject him at some point, right? Paul, remember in 1 Timothy, he was all alone before he died. Most of those that he'd invested in had rejected him. So it can be difficult when you feel like your personal discipleship or leadership has failed. But realize, if you worked as unto the Lord and did your best as far as you could in his power, you can trust the results to God with personal leadership and discipleship. Okay? So third, that was the second part. Those were some principles, some specific principles. Here are some general criteria. Have good boundaries with people that you're discipling and investing in. Realize that they are their own person, and they are not you. We're going to talk next week on boundaries and leadership, so I hope that you'll be here to hear all about boundaries, because they're vital in leadership. But a lot of times it's hard. Those lines get blurred between you and them in leadership, right? Deal with your own insecurities. For me, I have felt for years so insecure in one-on-one type of discipleship relationships, and I don't know why I feel insecure in those, 
but I do, right? Now, I have, I, I have thoughts go through my head all the time. Okay, let's say I'm going to meet with Dakota. I'm pretty sure Dakota doesn't want to meet with me today. I'm pretty sure he's mad that we have to meet. Oh, my gosh. I bet he doesn't even want to see me. I mean, I, it's so silly, but these thoughts go through my head. Like, he's probably, he's probably hating that. He probably has so many better things to be doing with his time this morning than meeting with me. These thoughts go through my head, and what do I have to do? 2 Corinthians 10.5. I have to take him captive and say, I know I have nothing to offer Dakota. I know I'm nothing special, but I'm going to sit down with him, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to encourage him, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be encouraged by him, <laughs> and we're both going to grow as a result of this get-together and this time together. It's going to be good. Be humble, guys. Be really humble with the people that you're leading. You aren't perfect, and that's fine. Be bold. Challenge them to more than they're going to do themselves and challenge themselves to. Be honest about where they need to grow. Probably the worst thing you could do to somebody that you're leading individually is to sugarcoat things and not tell them areas that they're weak in. And it's hard. That's really hard for me. I don't like to tell people where they're weak. So try to be honest about where they need to grow. But also be honest about where they're growing and strong. Encourage them often. Delegate to them at their level. Help them take the next step. This is key. If you're not giving them opportunities to take a step, their growth is going to be stunning. Demonstrate what you want them to learn in your own life. If you're teaching them evangelism, model evangelism for them. If you're teaching them memorizing scripture, model memorizing scripture. Right? Try to model for them what you're trying to help them learn. Do everything you can to help them grow. Share resources and opportunities. That's huge. If you can get them a book, get them a book. If you can encourage them to go to a retreat, do that. Or a conference, do that. If they need money, maybe you can help them that way. Right? Do whatever you can, sharing your resources and opportunities, again, with good boundaries, to help them grow. And this is important. Have fun together. Right? That's a good general principle. Make the whole process fun. Okay, get the ball rolling. We're almost done with leading individuals, and I think we're going to have plenty of time to go into the rest. This is good, though. Go to this person that you're hoping to, to start this discipleship relationship with or individually leading them. And set up an initial appointment. Don't just expect them to come and ask you to work with them. Remember Jesus. He called his disciples. So take the initiative to go to people and initiate that relationship. When setting up that first appointment, don't make it awkward. Hello, Joe. Can I disciple you? Joe goes, what is that? <laughs> what does that even mean? Right? Encourage them. Hey, could we get together and grab some coffee? Maybe talk about what God's teaching us. Make it not awkward to the best of your ability, right? And trust God, because God isn't awkward. He's right on the money. And the Holy Spirit in you is full of the fruit of the Spirit, and he's not awkward, right? Okay, three, always call them before the appointment or text just to remind them, especially at the beginning when you're first setting up an appointment. If I'm meeting with somebody that I've been discipling for three or four years, I intentionally do not text them most of the time. Sometimes I will if there's a question or something like that. But I like to let them prioritize our appointment, right? And prioritize our time together. And usually they will. And Dakota's usually texting me. I keep picking on you today. Nate, we're meeting today, right? And I'm like, yes, we are. Okay. At the end of each appointment, set up another appointment, right? To keep the ball rolling. Right? Don't get behind on this. Leading individuals can be difficult. Again, stick with it. Just stick with it, guys. If you're like me, where this isn't your strength, after you've done it for four or five years and you're still not seeing it as your strength, it can be difficult. Just stick with it. Keep trusting God. 
He's commanded all of us to it, right? So we should, that should be enough. We should not back out. Just keep with it. You'll start to see fruit. Okay, be concerned with their character first. Please, guys, if you're encouraging somebody to grow and to become Christ-like, most likely you're going to have to deal with their flesh, right? And don't be surprised by that when you find out they don't like you at a certain point or they don't like what you told them or whatever, or they gossiped about you. That's probably natural, right? Because the flesh is standing in the way of Christ-likeness, and if you want to get them to Christ-likeness, you'll probably have to encounter their flesh. There are a lot of guys I've worked with that it's like a dream. They've never fought me on anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's great. And there are others that have fought me hard, and I had one guy tell me, we, he came in as a freshman when I was a senior, right? And then when I came on staff, he literally told me, and this is interesting, and I don't know if he could ever listen to this or see this, but we have a great relationship now, but it was very um, hard for me to deal with when I first heard it. But he said, I, will, I can never respect you because we were both students at the same time. In other words, you're not, you're not going to have a leadership role in my life because we were both students at the same time. And I was thinking, well, at that time, you know, you were a freshman that was not yet a Christian, and I was a senior that had been a Christian since I was five, and <laughs> not that I'm perfect or anything at all, not that I was better than this other person, but I was so hurt. Like, how could you tell me that you could never respect my leadership because our school careers overlapped with each other, you know? But he went on to be very respectful of my leadership, and we ended up having a very strong relationship. He's grown into one of the most awesome men of God I know. I mean, phenomenal man of God. Leads his own ministry now. He's a great guy. Anyway, um, so when you hear things and you're tempted to think, I can't believe they just said that, that stinking jerk. Or it's like Leah. Leah got discipleship dumped by a girl two years ago, and she was so hurt. You know, She was interning that semester. And then the girl came back and said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And so she said, okay, let's start meeting again. So they start meeting again, and then she got discipleship dumped by the same girl a second time. <laughs> so Leah, her heart was just crushed, you know? And she, she thought, I'm a failure. I'm so terrible. Well, it was not until much later that this girl came back and uh, was involved in something we did. I'll be careful not to give too many details out. And what she said on her application that I reviewed was that Leah had dramatically influenced her life for Christ and all this, you know. So I got to share that with Leah. But it was so cool. Leah stuck with it, right? Leah stuck with it. So when you feel discouraged in personal leadership, don't stop. Keep investing the right way in the power of the Holy Spirit and trust the results to God, just like we do with evangelism. And again, evangelism is part of personal leadership, right? You're leading a non-Christian to Christ, right? So don't forget that aspect of it as well, that leadership is part of this individual discipleship. All right, think about the long term rather than the short term. We've had people come to us and be so mad. I hate Connect because when students do talk, it's, talks, it's not nearly as good as when staff do talks. And my response is, well, that's fine. Because my goal isn't how nice the Connect meeting comes across, right? My goal is not, I sure hope everything at Connect is perfect and nobody doesn't like anything, right? My goal is that people like each of you would take steps of faith that you'll never forget. I think about the retreat this weekend. Everybody that did a talk at that retreat, they took a huge step that most people never take. Right? And they're never going to be the same as a result. And I want all of you guys to get those opportunities. So you do that too in your ministry as you lead personally. 
be willing for something to come across at a lower quality as far as the event goes in order for a person who's most important again to take a step that they need to take, right? Because 30 years from now, we're not going to care how good Connect went, but we are going to care if that person that you're working with is multiplying for Christ, right? So be more concerned with the next 30 years of that person's ministry than you are with this week's event, okay? That's so much more important. Please, guys, as we conclude the part about personal leadership or leading individuals, I want to say help them see their potential in Christ. Don't give up on them. Even when they've given you a million reasons to drop them or give up on them, help them see their potential in Christ. I had a student once tell me, um, I told this, this awesome girl that I was praying for, and she said, I don't even know why you're praying for me, Nate, because I'm, I'm just such a failure, you know. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Why would you even waste your time praying for me? And I told her how much I valued her, right? I, I want the people that we're working with not to see their failures, but to see Christ in them, right? So do the same. Encourage them and help them see their potential in Christ. Okay, leading teams. A lot of you guys have done one-on-one stuff or have started to get to that level at least. I want to encourage you that leading teams is a next and vital, vital step. Here's why. Accomplishing anything significant requires a team, right? A team is not a luxury, but it's a necessity. I don't think you should ever think, if I have a team, that'd be nice, but I'm doing it regardless. I think we need to think, I have to have a team. And before I do that step, I'm going to build the team necessary to take that step, right? Or I'm going to join a team that's already there so that I can be a part of a team. But the main deal is there has to be a team. Jesus even had a team, right? Paul had a team. Look all through scripture and there's always a team. And that's the way things work. Until leaders can lead teams, they'll never be effective leaders. You can lead one-on-one all the time and that's good, but it doesn't end there. You have to get to a point where you can lead a team. And leading a team also starts with and involves being a part of a team, right? Because there are a lot of teams that I'm on that I don't lead including in master plan, right? And all of us need to be able to follow when we need to follow. We need to be a part of a team constantly, and we need to lead a team when we need to lead a team. Okay, so first of all, be the right leader for the team. Remember, character is so important. When you're leading individuals, you want to focus on their character the best you can. When you're leading a team, you also got to remember your character. You should do that in the individual section as well. But leading a team, you need to lead by example, and you really need to lead humbly again, and you need to lead out of character, not just out of ideals, right? Okay, here's something that Maxwell shares, and I'm going to share a lot more from Maxwell in just a minute. But he says, when something comes off great, credit the team, okay? If there's a great success and things happen better than anyone expected, it was all the team, right? You might hear athletes doing this, right? Pujols hits three home runs in one game in game three of the World Series and, you know, ties the record for most home runs, ties the record for most RBIs, breaks the record for most hits in a game, all this in one game, right? Unbelievable. Best offensive performance in history. And what is his response when they ask him? We were all out there together doing this tonight. He's not saying, yeah, I was pretty on fire, wasn't I? <laughs> right? But as a leader on that team, he's willing to say the team is, is responsible for what happened tonight. Okay, so when, there's a, when there is a success, credit your team. Right? Credit your team. It will help them realize that you're not just out for yourself. If it's decent, if it comes off okay, maybe not great, but not bad, 
You could say we all did it, right? And we were all part of this, this awesome time. If it was bad, if something did not come out the way it was supposed to, take the blame yourself. Even if you could blame somebody on the team. Again, you're focusing on that person's development. The last thing you want to do is to crush them by saying, I can't believe how terrible you were at this. Right, take the blame yourself. Everybody on your team is going to realize that you're not out to get them, that you value them, and that you want them to succeed and you don't want them to look bad, right? Okay, so do what you need to do. Set the pace and lead by example. If you're leading a team, guys, you have to set the pace. This is vital that you set the pace. Absolutely non-negotiable. Okay, second, build the right team. I'm going to go through these 17 indisputable laws of teamwork by Maxwell. These are all taken directly from that book. So I would maybe write a little bit, whatever stands out to you on each one of these. But I would encourage you to read this book. It's a good book. You can also get it on Audible. Okay, number one, the law of significance. One is too small a number to achieve greatness. Again, you're not going to accomplish much alone. You've got to have a team. So the law of significance. Number two, the law of the big picture, right? The goal is more important than the role. It's not so much about what position you have on the team. It's a whole lot more about the goal that the team is striving for, right? I don't have to be the one doing the talk at the retreat. My goal is that students at that retreat are going to grow closer to God. And you know what? I'm excited when Dakota gets up or when Brandon gets up or when any of these guys gets up or any of you ladies and hits a home run of a talk and students get encouraged in their walks with God. I'm not sitting there going, I wish I would have gotten to do that talk. It would have been even better, right? That would be crazy if we thought like that, right? We need to focus on the goal, not on our role, but the goal that the team is accomplishing. Okay, the law of the niche. All players have a place where they add the most value. So on your team, you each have gifts and abilities, and the worst thing you can do is be striving to be just like someone else. Learn who you are and work within the gifts and talents that God's given you. Okay, the law of the great challenge. As the challenge escalates, the need for teamwork elevates. Does that make sense? The bigger the goal, the bigger the challenge, the more the team needs to stick together and grow together. Okay, the law of the chain. The strength of the team is impacted by its weakest link. It sounds rough, but it's true. Right? It sounds really rough. If there is somebody on the team that should not be on the team, the worst thing you can do is keep that person on the team. Right? It's bad for them, and it's bad for the team. And you'll see this a million times over. The whole team will suffer if somebody's there that shouldn't be there. They feel discouraged. They feel unhappy with the fact that they're not at the same level as everybody else. Everybody else realizes it as well and feels like they're getting drugged down. As mean as it sounds, there come times when somebody, for their own good, has to take a step back and focus on where they're at. And it's not that they're bad. It's not that they're not good. It's not that they're immature. They really just have to grow in to that role instead of being forced to be there at this time. Okay, the law of the catalyst. Winning teams have players who make things happen. Okay, that means on every winning team, there's somebody that's willing to do whatever it takes to get it done and to make the team win. I would encourage all of you to be that person. This is the person that rises to their best level when things need to happen. Does that make sense? Right? This is the person that does not back down but says, I'm going to go for it. Every team needs at least one of those, and I think every team needs a lot of those. And, you know, if we're working as unto the Lord and not as unto men, we should all be putting everything on the line and being that catalyst. 
saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this team going. Okay, the law of vision, right? Vision gives team members direction and confidence. I think it was in The Art of War where Sun Tzu said, if the vision is unclear, right, then any defeat is the leader's problem. But if the vision is clear, if he's communicated that clearly, then the defeat is the people below him. It's their problem, right? But the point there was, as a leader, if you are not clearly articulating the vision, then all the bad and everything that comes out of not reaching the goal, it's, it's our fault if we're not clearly communicating the vision, right? So we need to clearly communicate the vision. Okay, the law of the bad apple, rotten attitudes ruin a team. Have you guys seen this? Where one person's bad attitude impacts the whole team. It could be about anything, right? So number one, don't be that person with a bad attitude. Number two, when you see a bad attitude, nip it in the bud. Whether you hear gossip and need to correct it and say, no, that's not true, that person is awesome, and I'm not going to listen to that, and I would encourage you not to share that. could be with gossip, or it could be just about issues, right? I really don't like this about da 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 whatever. Being able to stop that and say, no, it's really not that bad. You know, it's pretty good. And I see your concern. It's valid. Maybe we could do something constructive about that, you know? And maybe we could actually make a difference. But if you're on a team and you hear bad attitude, get rid of it. Okay, when I was a student... There were a whole lot of people on our leadership team, a lot of students. I was on leadership team, maybe another five or six students were. And all the students, I never heard about this, but apparently most of the students other than myself, um, me and, and then Eli Stewart, Eli was on our leadership team, who is now uh, just being used in huge ways by God in a different big ministry. But anyway, a lot of the students other than the two of us were really mad at Russ over one issue furious with Russ over this one issue. The leaders were. And nobody was talking to Russ about it, but they're gossiping with each other. And I never even heard about this. Eli did hear about it, and here's what Eli did. Eli said, the next time I hear one of you guys say anything bad about Russ, he goes, I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to physically hit you. He's from Alaska. He's really, <laughs> he's really tiny, like short. Not, he's taller than me, probably. But he's not like huge, right? And he's muscular, but he's not massive. You wouldn't, he, you know, you, you wouldn't, he wouldn't walk in a room and command your attention as like this big, huge guy. But he was stronger than anybody I've ever met. He'd beat anyone wrestling. And he flat out told these people, I will punch you in the face if you say another negative word about Russ. You know what that did? That absolutely ended all the gossip. It ended all the bad attitudes. And from that day forward, we saw God do some of the greatest things that we've ever seen on this campus. But it took somebody saying... Bad apples, rotten attitudes, not going to happen. <laughs> and I will physically intervene in the situation if I see it happening, okay? The law of the price, ah, sorry, the law of countability. Teammates, teammates must be able to count on each other when it counts. So be somebody that can be counted on. The law of the price tag. The team fails to reach its potential when it fails to pay the price, right? All of us need to be investing. Oh, Nikki, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Nikki and Josh, I was thinking about you guys this week. You guys put off going to this Sean McDonald concert. I was, that night, I was just like, God, bless them so big. Bless them, bless them, bless them so huge. <laughs> I was just praying. That was so huge, though. I mean, that was a sacrifice. But you know what? Everybody knew we can count on them. Like, they're going to put everything on the line to make a difference for Christ in people's lives. And I, we, I knew we could count on you guys. I was just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
I know at staff, not at staff meeting, but I know, I guess, at the deer butchering party. <laughs> we were talking about how proud we were of you guys for, for um, just investing your lives that night instead of going to this concert that you wanted to go to. Okay, the law of the price tag. You guys paid the price. You guys did whatever it took to invest, and that's awesome. The law of the scoreboard. The team can make adjustments when it knows where it stands. Right? We need to be evaluating as a team, realizing where we're coming short, and then making the changes that we need to make. We're going to do that at the end of this semester, just on a side note. And all of the staff are going to spend an entire day evaluating this semester so that we can do better next semester. And we want lots of feedback. In fact, we'll probably set a few hours where we tell you guys, come over and let us know what you think would be best in this ministry to make it, make it happen right. Okay, the law of the bench, great teams have great depth, right? We all are contributing in our various gifts. The law of identity, shared values define the team. Okay, what are our main shared values on our team, do you think? Just name a couple. Big values. Jesus. Uh-huh. Love for Christ. What else? Love for people. Respecting each other. Respecting each other. A couple specific things, maybe. Food, okay. How about specific vision? Seeing this campus come to Christ. Seeing this campus come to Christ, evangelism. Growth, Growth discipleship. Right. What else? What do you guys all have on your desks? Your Bibles. Back to my phone, but my Bible's there. Right? Yeah, no, God's word is a huge value to us. See, those things are kind of like our DNA. Uh, freedom. And flexibility as a ministry, we're not very constrained. Oh, you want to go salmon snagging and make it a ministry event? Let's do it. <laughs> Why not? Pull some hook through some fish's side and do it for the glory of God, right? We want to have a lot of flexibility in this ministry, right? And do things that are fun and creative and, and see God work in the middle of all of it. All right, the law of communication. So every team needs to have shared values like that. The law of communication, interaction fuels action, right? So keep communicating. And here is one that comes back to your doorstep. The law of the edge. The difference between two equally talented teams is leadership. Every team has to have good leadership. So strive to be a better leader for your team. Okay, so that was the second. Third, manage team dynamics well. This is important. Team dynamics are often interesting and hard to figure out. All teams need good leadership, but you also have all these different people and strengths and weaknesses on a team, and the dynamics can be very bizarre. We don't have a lot of time, but without going into that, we've seen that on overseas projects that we've led. The first overseas project we led, there were two girls that were best friends, and then one of those girls was dating my brother, so there's this dating relationship. And then there's one guy in the group that was pretty quiet and kept to himself, and, and so he could tend to be a loner and pull himself to the side. It ended up creating very hard-to-deal-with team dynamics, right? The second group that we led overseas, the team dynamics were amazing. Right? They were really amazing for different issues. But try to manage those well and help facilitate them to be what they need to be. Okay, All these teams need a diversity of abilities and gifts. right? So be intentional about bringing your team members on that have different gifts than you. Don't just pick people like you, right? but bring people on that are different than you because the team needs it. Delegate to your team and then cut them loose. You guys, when you're leading a team, you need to give people real responsibility and then let them go with it. If they fail, they fail. That's fine. They will grow in the process, right? But as a leader, the worst thing you can do is micromanage them. 
when we asked Dakota and Josh and Jack to do talks, I didn't call any of you guys right and say, I want to review your notes first. Some of you guys said, hey, I want, let's go over our notes together. Um, and we checked them out. But I want to cut you guys loose, right? Sometimes I'll want to check out notes when people are first doing talks. But the reality is we want to delegate and then cut people loose. Let them go. Let them have some freedom to grow and to contribute. Okay, Maxwell says if someone can do something 80% as good as you, it's a law that you've got to delegate it to them. Let them do it, right? It's important for their growth. Remember that that diversity of gifts and talents will also bring a diversity of opinions, and that might inevitably lead to butting heads. So before we go, oh my gosh. All right, guys. I'm going to draw a little diagram that you should draw. We saw this this past spring. Ron and Jerry Swingle came up. I don't know if they came up with this or they're just repeating this. They might have got it from somewhere else. I'm sure they did. But I'll credit them until I know any better. But it goes like this. Every team goes through four stages. And as you lead teams, you should be aware of what stage you're at. You have the forming stage. Remember this, Stephanie? Yes. The storming phase. The norming phase. And then you have the performing phase. Okay? And it goes in that order. One, two, three, four. Now, when you first form a team, when you're first forming this group, like let's say that's a Bible study or whatever it might be, everybody's excited, right? Everybody comes the first night, oh my gosh. Everybody's smiling and nobody, it's not like you go to the first meeting and say, you guys all need a change. You need to get in order, you know? Everybody's just getting to know each other and it's all fun and happy. So on this stage, there are lots of good feelings, and everything's nice and wonderful. Uh, in the storming phase, though, you start to realize, wait a minute. <laughs> um, I'm a little not too sure about this one thing. Maybe the vision isn't something I totally buy into. Maybe I disagree with it a little bit. Or maybe that person looked at me wrong, and I don't like them. Right? So you have this storming phase. right? And it happens after forming. And it will happen, just at different degrees might not happen bad, or it might happen really bad. A lot of people at that storing phase, what do they do? They're out of here, right? I'm not coming back. I disagree with them. They're a bunch of jerks. I'm out of here. As a leader, when you start to see this storming phase, you have got to help people get from the storming phase to the norming phase. And the norming phase is where they start to say, we're a team, we're not all going to agree on everything, but we are going to go for the goal together, we're going to get there together. And to help get people from the storming to the norming phase, one of the biggest things you can do is make sure everybody's voice is heard and help everybody know their role, right? Know that they're valued. They need to know that their concerns are valid and they're going to be addressed, unless they're just flat out crazy. Then you can just give them the boot. <laughs> there might be some weird situations where that's possible, which is what we talked about last week at this cross-training class. Anyway, so when you see this storming phase as a team leader, you want to help the team get to the norming phase where they can talk out their issues, where they can connect with each other, where they can focus on the main goal. And once the team norms, once they really get to be a good team and they realize their differences but love each other in spite and focus on the goal in spite of those, then what do you get? Then you get performing. Then you actually see a team that starts to go somewhere, right? They actually start to accomplish their goal and their vision. 
because they got past all that beginning turmoil and they're actually going in the right direction. So help each team member get past that storming phase. And they, especially if they're quiet, they might not be the first ones to tell you that. You might have to draw it out of them. How are you really feeling right now? Where are you really at? Let's talk about it. That might happen one-on-one -on -one so they can be honest too. Help draw them out and help them get comfortable with the team and the vision and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so that's the end on leading teams. And we're going to quickly summarize leading events, which is the smallest part of today's talk. Because remember, our ministry is not about events. It's about people, right? And it's about a process. So don't overemphasize events, but realize that events are necessary. They have a time and a place, and they meet a need. We need to have things like cross-training and connect and Bible studies. But remember, they're not the only thing or the main thing. So be strategic about designing your events to accomplish the vision. Don't just do things because you have to do things, right? We've seriously said before in our staff meetings, should we just stop having connect? Is there a point to have connect? Well, we think there is. As soon as there's not, though, we're going to do whatever it takes to meet the goal, right? Don't get so focused on an event that you cannot do without it, right? Be ready to do whatever it takes to accomplish the vision and to use whatever events are necessary to get there. Keep up the momentum. You guys, keep up the momentum. Plan momentum-building events into your event schedule, right? This semester, we've tried to do that. We've tried to pace out these seeker connects to have these kind of fun, laid-back things. We tried to put the movie night on midterms week so that when people are stressed out, there'd be a low-energy, easy thing to come to. Does that make sense? We've tried to plan this whole semester. We're doing the awesome angels and mortals this week because we know people are drained beyond belief, and they could use some encouragement right now. This is all intentional. In fact, we planned all this out in April. <laughs> okay? It was a lot. It's not like every week we're just going, eh, what should we do this week? Obviously, we're also going to be flexible. If God directs otherwise, we're going to change our schedule, right? So do your best to do both, to be flexible to him, but also to plan momentum into your schedule of events. Now here, you've got to write this down. This is key. Remember this. Design low-input, high-impact events rather than high-input, low-impact events. Does that make sense? You want to do, I'll put that right here, low input, high impact. We did a concert once. It was a one and a half hour concert. I had to raise $2,000 for the concert. We had to find lodging and food for the band. We had to advertise for weeks in advance. We had to schedule rooms. We had to clean up after we were done. We had to set up before we started. And I'm not, no, not one person came to Christ, although the band did a great job sharing. Nobody took big steps in their walks with God when we did this concert here. And I felt so drained when we got done with it, I couldn't even think. It practically destroyed the rest of the semester for me because I put so much into this. Well, that was a high-input, low-impact event, and it did not help our ministry, and it sure didn't help me, right? Now we want to do things that are low-input, high-impact. Angels and mortals this week, you know what I have to do? <laughs> I press print on the computer, prints out a bunch of things. We hand them out at Connect, give you guys five minutes to fill them out. Everybody pulls one, it's done. It's going for a week. Incredibly low input. It takes no time or energy or money on my end. But you know what happens? All of us are so encouraged. Incredibly high impact. 
So do things like that that take a low input of time and energy and resources but have a high impact rather than a high input and a low impact, okay? Again, we just talked about teamwork. Don't do events alone. You need a team. And delegate the event to everybody on your team. I should not lead praise. It would be bad for you guys. I want Jake to lead praise, right? And Jake doesn't want to lead praise and do the PowerPoints. He wants Ben to do the PowerPoints. Does that, we're all going to have a role, and we should continue to make all of our events be led by teams and really delegate well. Okay, so keep your team motivated as far as these things are going. Encourage them. I try to send out a leadership text every week or every couple days just to kind of keep your guys' eye on the ball, keep you encouraged. I want to say be faithful to lead well. If you're leading an event, set the pace again. Be diligent. If you're leading an event, don't be the one that everybody's relying on and you're not coming through, right? Oh, yeah, I didn't do that. Oh, yeah, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Be diligent. Do whatever it takes. Schedule. Be ahead of the curve. Usually I try to have our rooms reserved six or eight months in advance if they'll let us. Right? I feel weird right now because they won't let us reserve next semester's rooms until December. I'm kind of freaking out a bit. But anyway, I want to be diligent and do whatever it takes on my end and be ahead of the curve so that our team doesn't suffer next semester, right? get to next semester, and we don't have good locations. We've actually seen that. We got asked once by the campus, could you please let us have your meeting room that Tuesday night instead of Connect? We know it'll be inconvenient for you, but can you move to a different area? Because we're hosting a national leadership conference, and we forgot to reserve a room. And it's like next week. <laughs> I was thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, it's a leadership conference too. Are you kidding me? Nobody, they said we have like a thousand water bottles or something like that with the location and the time of the event printed on the water bottles that they're handing out as advertising. And they, but they hadn't reserved the, the room for the event. I couldn't believe it. Okay? Well, don't be that, right? If you're leading a team, be diligent and think ahead and, and be on top of it. Make sure to maximize every aspect of the event, the advertising, the schedule, the content, the resources, the budget, any specifics you can. Those are just a few things about leading events, guys. Final thoughts, as you grow as a leader, you'll need to grow in each of these areas. So step out in this. This is on-the-job training. You're going to learn in doing. This is not theoretical. This is on the job. Trust God to develop you in all these areas by the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember... Like always, Chris, you don't have what it takes. But he, does. but he does. The Holy Spirit in you does. Okay? Let's pray and call it a day. I hope that encourages you about leading in those various areas. Dakota Weaver? Yeah. I just picked on you a lot today, so I figured I had to. Father God, I just, uh, I just thank you for today, Father. Um, God, I just thank you for um, the retreat that we had this last weekend. So just this weekend, God. I just thank you that you were just there, God, and you're just working each one of our hearts, Father, and that we just had an awesome time, good time just to get away and relax, God, and just focus on you. Father, I just uh, thank you for this opportunity to come together and uh, just learn about uh, leadership, God. Father, uh, just really learning how to be a leader, to uh, just being faithful for what you've given us, God, and I pray that we can just grow in that, Father. And God, just pray for this our day, God, the rest of our week, and that's getting... Uh, we're all getting tired, but Father, but I just uh, I just ask for energy, and I, we uh, just rely on all of you, all of you. And uh, yeah, God, I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.